attentive. Brethren, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who contributes in liberality, he who gives aid with zeal, he who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing Never flag and zeal, be aglow with the Spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, practice hospitality. To Saint Matthew, let us be attentive. Glory to you, O Lord, glory to you. At that time, getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on his bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to Peace be 
good tidings. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I normally preach from the Gospel reading, but uh, I think two out of the last few times that I've been preaching, I uh, have chosen to preach on the Epistle reading. You can't beat Romans chapter 12. I actually call the whole chapter a recipe for a successful church community. So if you want to know how to be a vibrant parish, read and follow Romans chapter 12. And today's epistle reading is a a really big chunk of Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 14. And the Apostle Paul is speaking to a specific community in Rome. So that's also helpful for us to understand. And he starts off with saying, Earnestly know your gifts. Gifts that have been given to you by the virtue of the fact that you have received the Holy Spirit, you have been baptized into Christ, and He has given these gifts to you. As a matter of fact, to quote him, he says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. He's not even arguing the point of whether we have received gifts or not. He says, you have. Now use them. This is a commandment. Put an exclamation point at the end of that. And he starts off with prophecy. Now when we understand prophecy, we know that there are no new prophets. John the Baptist was the last of the prophets. Meaning there is no new revelation being given. God has revealed Himself to us. There will be nothing new spoken by the church that hasn't already been handed down to the apostles and to their successors. So when we talk about prophecy, we're not talking about anything new. But we are talking about applying rightly the word of truth to certain circumstances. And notice that he says, if prophecy is one of your gifts, it has to be according to your faith. Prophecy is one of the highest gifts. And it is reserved for those who have great faith and act on their faith. Those who are really close to God have been made worthy of being mouthpieces of God to rightly divide the word of truth. If we do not have this gift, then be silent. And then he says, service, teaching, and exhortation. Now if you look at your weekly and you see what he's saying there, he says, if service is a gift, then in your serving. If teaching is a gift, then in your teaching. If exhortation is a gift, then in your exhorting. In other words, act upon these gifts. Don't have the gift of serving and not serve. Don't be a gifted teacher and not teach. Don't be one who encourages and cheers on and exhorts and not use that gift. 
We'd be like the one who had been given the one talent who buries it because they do not understand themselves and they do not rightly understand God. And that gift in the end gets taken away from that person and given to the others who were good stewards of their gifts. The Apostle goes on. He says, He who contributes... You might say, well, aren't we all supposed to contribute? And the answer is yes. That's not what he's talking about. There are people in every church community who are extra blessed with an abundance of material or other kinds of resources. They are called out by God to give as benefactors of that community liberally, self-sacrificially. They are to give till it hurts, not give and stay at a point of comfort and luxury and fine living. God has blessed that person or those persons in that community for a very specific reason, to give liberally for the edification and the building up of that body of Christ. We're all supposed to be giving and giving liberally, but only certain people are given that gift. Those who give aid with zeal, with enthusiasm, sustaining it consistently. This is how we understand zeal. If you are an aid giver, you have to be on fire when you're doing it. You have to have a fire burning in your heart that motivates you to go out of yourself and to give aid regardless. And then finally he says, those who do acts of mercy with cheerfulness, with a sense of joy, with a giving heart, seeing in each person the image of Christ, seeing in each person your neighbor, your brother, your sister. This is what continues to regenerate cheerfulness in a person's heart as they give acts of mercy. So my brothers and sisters, we need to be praying fervently to God that we understand our gifts. We need to be asking those who really know us, who are closest to us, what are our gifts? We need to be understanding that what we like to do and what we're good at is most likely one of our gifts. And then we need to be doing it. And finally, as we open up ourselves to our spiritual father, as we confess the deepest recesses of our hearts, this is also a relationship that God can use to illuminate us, to help us understand our gifts. Reading the scriptures and seeing how others have these gifts and how they have used them. Reading the lives of saints so that we see, oh, I identify with that. Oh, I didn't understand it that way. Then we can put these revelations that we receive from these readings into action. Then the Apostle Paul goes on. He says, let love be genuine, not inauthentic. Not hypocritical. I add, I add to this what he says down below a little lower. He says, Let love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I think this helps us to understand what genuine love should look like. 
We should be loving in a self-sacrificial way. How many of us love in a selfish way? We love with an agenda. We love because we want something in return. We love, even though we don't want to love this way, we love because we're still thinking about ourselves. There's something in it for me. This is not genuine love. Love that is genuine is self-sacrificial. It's at our expense for the good of the other. It is a pouring out of oneself for what we know to be the salvation and the good and the wholeness of that other person. We should love one another as if each person that is in front of us or across from us is the Lord Himself. How do we show honor? Outdo one another in showing honor and brotherly affection. We should assume the best in each other. We should show respect to each other. We should build each other up. There should be no gossip, positive, whatever that is, or negative in a community. We should not be talking about one another. We should be talking to each other or we are silent. Gossip, even when it is quote-unquote positive, is destructive. It tears down. It breaks down trust. It does not show honor. It does not show brotherly affection, which is pure. When the Apostle Paul says, outdo one another, he's not having a competition. But he is saying, don't wait until somebody treats you this way. When he says, outdo, he says, you initiate. You do it first. You lay down your life. You give of yourself. And if everybody is outdoing one another in that way, everyone is receiving what they are giving and receiving what they really need and want. And that is a fulfilling community. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, Hate what is evil. Hold fast, cling to what is good. My brothers and sisters, it is not wrong to hate what is evil. Don't be so blinded by PC mindset that you do not hate what is evil. God encourages you to know truth from falsehood, good from evil, bad from good. And He wants us to cling and to hold fast to what is good. And He wants us to despise anything that is distorted, that is not of God, that is not something that He created. And God did not create evil. Evil is a non-entity. It is a parasite that feeds on the misuse of our human free will. If we were all to consistently choose God and do the right thing, evil would vanish from the human race and therefore from the earth because we sustain it. It's not something that God sustains. How do we know the good and hold fast to it? First, we need to be people who read the scriptures every single day of our life. 
We need to carve out time and be people of the Word. We need to read the epistles and the Gospels and the Old Testament, and we need to recognize the good everywhere that it is. We need to read the lives of the saints and see the good in those people that we have held up and canonized as examples worthy of our imitation. We need to read their writings because they're telling us, being prophets of God, what the good is. And then we need to do it and put it into action in our life. This is how we hate what is evil and cling and hold fast to what is good. We need to encourage one another in the community to do the same. Where iron sharpens iron. He continues and says, Never flag in zeal. Be aglow with the Spirit. Serve the Lord. This is a state that speaks of constancy. It speaks of consistency. It speaks of stability. And we know that we as human beings are weak. We're always changing, always in fluctuation. So it's a huge battle to be consistent and constant. We know this. Our bodies are changing. Our emotions are changing. Our psychological makeup is changing. We have different circumstances that are putting pressures on us positively and negatively. So how do we stay constant? How do we be fervent and aglow with the Spirit? How do we consistently serve the Lord? We know that we can't do it by ourselves. We know that the Lord says, Abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. So that's the first thing. We have to abide in Christ. And that is not based on our feelings. We know that the Apostle Paul said, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We have to surrender. We have to unite ourselves to Christ every day and every moment by an act of our will, not by how we feel. This is how we will stay consistent. This is how we will never flag in zeal, be aglow in the Spirit, and be able to serve the Lord. And then the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in your hope. What is our hope? Our hope is in the Lord and what He has done. He is God. He has revealed Himself to us. He has become a human being that we might be partakers of His divine nature. He has sanctified the human race. He has reconciled us to Himself. He has brought the enmity between us and Him to a close. He has destroyed sin and death and destroyed the devil. And He is granting to all who put their faith in Him eternal life. And He has started that kingdom even now that we might partake of it. Blessed is the kingdom now and forever and to the ages of ages. Amen. This is our hope. But how easy do we forget it? How can we rejoice in a hope that we don't remember? We have to constantly remind ourselves, actively, intentionally remind ourselves of this hope every single day. Every single moment if we can. Because the devil wants to steal away our memory. The chief cardinal passion 
that begets so many passions is forgetfulness. Over and over the church admonishes us to remember that we can rejoice in this hope because we hold on to it. He continues by saying, Be patient in tribulation. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. How easy is it for us to forget that God loves us? How easy is it for us to forget that He would never let anything happen in our life if it wasn't for our good? Even when we are being cursed, even when we are being mistreated, even when we are undergoing trial or tribulation or persecution, God is present in it and He is allowing it because He is through it teaching us something that we need to learn. He is actively in that loving us. If we remember this, then and only then can we be patient and even grateful for what God allows, knowing that it is through and because of His love for us. Then he says, be constant in prayer. Really, this is the key to the whole thing. I asked somebody earlier, you know what it's like to really be in love with somebody. Do you want to spend time with them? Do you want to be in their presence? Is it exciting to you to be in dialogue and conversation? Or even silently just sitting next to that person? The answer is, of course, yes. This is prayer. The problem is, is we do not cultivate a relationship with Jesus Christ to the point that we feel like He is our lover and we are His beloved. And so we see prayer as duty. We see it as a grind. We see it as an obligation. We see it as... God will love me if I do this. He won't love me if I don't do this. He'll accept me if I do this. He won't accept me if I don't do this. Instead of really loving Him, we fear Him in not such a healthy way. Because we do not cultivate a beloved lover relationship with the one who has given everything that we might be His lover. Only then will we be excited and therefore constant in prayer and let that unite us to Him and usher us into His kingdom and transform us. Finally, the Apostle Paul, it's not the way the chapter ends, but it's the way the reading ends. He says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and practice hospitality. Contributing to the needs of the saints is contributing to one another's needs. Brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the same body. You contributing to my needs, I contributing to your needs. We contributing to the needs of one another. Hospitality, philoxenia in Greek, is something different. It is being a lover of those who are not a part of the community, the local community. They're part of the greater community. The Apostle Paul says to be a healthy community, we need to do both. We need first to take care of the needs of each other. That is not self-centered. That is godly. 
And then secondly and simultaneously, we need to be lovers of those who come to us and welcome them and give them of all the blessings that we have to make them our neighbor, to make them our brother and sister, to go out of ourselves self-sacrificially and be genuinely loving towards them, just as we are towards one another, just as God is towards us. So my dear brothers and sisters, I actually recommend that you take some time and you memorize this particular epistle reading. That you commit it to your memory, that you put it in your heart, and that you begin to practice this in your everyday life. You have all of the blessed context with which to fulfill this right here at St. John. So this is my challenge to you. Commit this to memory and then start to put it into action. And you will see heaven on earth through your relationships with one another. Amen.